0: Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for another day you blessed us with. Thank you that, as the song said, we do not need to bear our trials alone, but as we come to rely on you, that um, we can build a heart of gratitude and a heart of patience as we recognize that you are in control. We ask your blessing on what Lester has prepared this morning, that you can speak through him, that we can be blessed and drawn closer to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Greetings this morning to each one of you. I hope that you find it a joy to come to the house of the Lord this morning. I know sometimes things in life can take that joy away. We find it hard to maybe, other things that are going on, find it hard to concentrate on the Lord speaking to us to truly rest as we gather in his house, but my prayer is that, that we could find joy and rest in Christ as we gather this morning and hear his word. I invite you to turn again in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. Several weeks ago when I last preached here, I started a series I'm planning to do through the book of Galatians, somewhat of a book study, though I'm, I'm also, I'm seeing a theme here and kind of dwelling on that, that theme as we go through this book. The theme is the pure gospel. So today I'd like to share with you part two of that. Um, My title specifically for this morning is The Gospel is Justification by Faith. I know in the bulletin it says the gospel is by faith, but I decided to add that other word as I I spent a little more time um, studying this and looking at it. I think that fits better. The gospel is justification by faith. Today I want to cover um, chapter 2, verse 11 through chapter 3, verse 6. Before we get into that, just to give you a little review, if you to refresh your minds or if you did not hear my first sermon on this. What is the gospel? It is a message of good news. Um, think of the angels that came to announce that message to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. Do not be afraid for... Be- Behold, I bring you good tidings, or that could be interpreted the gospel, good news. Good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The gospel message was that there is a Savior. There is hope for us. There is redemption, saving us from the curse of sin. And another verse, Isaiah 61, verse 1 The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings. There again we see that word, good tidings, or the gospel, to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Then Jesus read these words when he walked here on this earth, and he said, Today this is fulfilled in your hearing. We talked about how the gospel must be preached and its purity must be maintained. It must be kept pure. Talked about the, the, the threats that the gospel faces as it is at times perverted or there's other teachings from false teachers brought in. The gospel is about pleasing God, not man. And it is for those who are slaves. And we looked at the story of the prodigal son, how he returned to his father willing to be his father's servant, his father's slave. That's how we must come to Christ as well. if we want to receive the gospel. come in humility, submission and ready to serve. You may recall, also I gave you homework, I gave you voluntary homework, not mandatory, but I'm curious if any of you took the time to read those several chapters in Isaiah to meditate on them, and if you care to, have something to share that you learned from that passage, Isaiah 59 through 62. What does it tell us about the gospel? Anyone, men or ladies, you're all I, I gave it to you as um, a devotional, if you will, to, to meditate on, and all of you should be doing that from God's word somewhere.
1: gospel, and and, um, uh, I've come to the conclusion that, that the gospel is
0: Thank you, John. John says he mauled over it. Did anybody else do that? Okay, if not, we'll move on and go into the next portion here. Galatians chapter 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 11 and read through chapter 3, verse 6. Justified by faith. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel... I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh?" Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. I'd like to think, first of all, about what it means to be justified. The word here that that he repeats over and over again and says, it is not possible for us to be justified by works, but only by faith in Christ Jesus. What does justify mean? Just to start at the, the foundation here, at the basics. It means to declare or pronounce one to be just or righteous, or as he ought to be. We can think of everyday examples in our world, of, in, in our court system, especially that word justified might be used, or, or at least that, that concept, uh, we live under the laws of our state, and I was thinking of a particular um, example would be hunting laws. We're in the middle of hunting season here, so we should be thinking about that a little bit. There, there's laws on, on what we can and cannot do, and and depending when we shoot a deer, uh, we're justified in doing that. Depend when you do it, it, you're disobeying the law. Um, it's the same way... Um, an interesting little thing I came across recently for bear. Because I have beehives, um, I am allowed to shoot a bear that is attacking or tearing apart my beehives. I'm justified if I do that regardless of the time of year. However, if that bear strolls across my yard in the middle of the summer and I just really don't want that bear that close to my house, I'm not justified in shooting it. So I, it's illegal. It's against the law. However, I will be justified if he was destroying my beehives because he is destroying property. That's according to the law. So justified means that whatever you do, you're you're not guilty. You're righteous. You're right in doing that. It's okay for you to do that. We are justified through Christ. It's also interesting to think about um, the the universal human longing to be justified. And I think it, it comes because... Universally, um, we are aware that we are sinful people. Now, this may not be true for all. Um, The scripture talks about those whose minds are so, um, what's the word he uses there in Romans? Debased? Reprobate. Reprobate? Um, Yes, there's, there's probably those who simply are not aware of sin, but I think in general, human beings have some kind of idea of right and wrong and and where they stand. And then we tend to seek to justify ourselves, knowing that we're not perfect, we've done some things wrong, but we justify ourselves. Um, If you think about other religions and how they look at this, and I'm I'm by no means an expert on different religions, Um, it'd be interesting for me to, to, to hear of what somebody who does understand Uh, some of the other major religions in the world and how they look at justification. But I think many times in other religions, there's always some system, some form of law in order for people to be justified. It might be attending Mass. It might be regularly attending Mass and not skipping too often. And I'm justified if if I do that, if I take of those sacraments often enough. Um, It could be Traveling to Mecca, worshiping in a certain place, uh, bowing before a certain idol, offering sacrifices. All these are ways that other religions seek to justify themselves.
1: <clears throat>
0: They're all man made laws that they are using to justify themselves. No other religion relies upon Jesus Christ to offer that justification. And the law only proves that I am a sinner. It cannot justify me. If you look here in, in this passage in Galatians, Paul is emphasizing that to them. He makes it very clear that no law can justify. The law only proves that we are sinners. If you turn go forward to verse 24 in chapter 3, He tells us the purpose of the law. The law was our tutor or our schoolmaster. I think you could say our teacher in a sense. To bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law exposes our sin. The law proves us to be sinful and in need of that justification. But following the law cannot justify us. Cannot pronounce us righteous. The pure gospel says that we are only justified by faith in Christ. Now what was happening here is Paul had confronted Peter at one time because of an error he saw in his life because he was perverting the gospel. And he's relaying this now to the Galatians because he was seeing the same problem in the Galatian church where they were going back to relying upon the law. And what he says about Peter, um, so Peter had acknowledged that yes justification is by faith yes Paul you can go to the Gentiles and preach to them they can be saved they can be a part of the church and and Peter even sat down and ate with them with the Gentiles so he he said yes that's true but then he turned around and when certain people were there he stayed away from eating with the Gentiles He was going back to relying upon the law and in a sense saying that, yes, justification by faith, but we also need to do the law in order to be justified. Paul confronted him about this as well as the other people there that he was leading astray to. And he says to them, a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. He says then, but if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we're found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? So he he presents he presented to Peter and the other men there this, this argument or this potential um, conflict here and i'd like to read those couple verses in the revised standard version i think it it may give us a little more clarity chapter 2 verse 17 through 19 but if in our endeavor to be justified in christ we ourselves are found to be sinners is christ then an agent of sin certainly not but if i build again if i build up again those things which i tore down then i prove myself a transgressor for I through the law died to the law that I might live to Christ. So I'd like to look a little bit more at what he's, he's saying there. So Peter was being a hypocrite. He was saying one thing and doing other. He was perverting the gospel saying, uh, yeah, justification by faith, but also we need to um, do the law in order to be justified. So it wasn't that he was rejecting the gospel, but perverting it. Uh, so Paul is saying that if we say that we're justified by Christ, but then also do the law, we are again proving that we are sinners. If we're found to be sinners, if we have relied upon Christ for our justification, but then find that we are sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin or an agent of sin? And this is, this term uh, would, would it mean to to help, assist, to serve uh, like like a waiter comes and helps and assists and serves you. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Is he a minister of sin, an agent of sin? Certainly not. And Paul makes it very clear. Yes, we, we agree that cannot be, that Christ is a minister of sin. But if we go back to relying upon the law for our justification It is, in a sense, saying that Christ is helping prove that you are a sinner, making you a sinner rather than justifying. I'd like to turn to a couple other passages that you don't need to turn here. I'll just go there and read them to you that I think help us to better understand this. Um, The first one is found in Romans chapter 7. Four through six. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So he begins this chapter by talking about marriage and, and, and just using the example of how that if a spouse dies, the spouse that's left is free to marry because of that death. There's no more, there's that, that um, contract of marriage is no longer there. So also, we are dead to the law through the body of Christ. How do we die to the law? through Christ's death on the cross, for us. Though the law, he says in verse 19, that the law died, though, though the law, I'm sorry, through the law, I through the law died to the law, that I might live to God. Through the law, because the law condemns me to death, I died to the law, through the body of Christ. Hopefully we can we can understand um, what he's saying there. In chap, in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, again expounds on this. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit in, of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And there he, he says there's two laws. There's the life in Christ Jesus, and there's the law of sin and death. There's a separation there. In verse 18, where he says, uh, talks about building up and tearing down. What was it that was torn down in his wording here? What's he referring to? What was torn down? Hebrews chapter 9, several verses there, that I think refer to that. Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh... How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? What was it that was torn down? Since it was like the tabernacle, he says, Now there is a new through Christ a more a greater and more perfect tabernacle. And if we go back to relying upon the law for our justification, it's like we're tearing that tabernacle down and building again another one. If I seek to be justified by anything other than Christ, it is disobedience. Chapter Galatians chapter three, the first several verses there is where I want to focus now. Trying to find that phrase the phrase I'm looking for and then I don't see it right now. <clears throat> where he talks about disobedience. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure I didn't have my notes complete here, I guess. Maybe that was back in Hebrews. <clears throat> if I seek to be justified by anything other than Christ, it is disobedience. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. He calls these Galatians foolish and bewitched because of what they were doing, of going back to relying upon the law. And we we again, as I pointed out in my previous sermon, we see how strong Paul comes across here. The strong wording he uses, how how zealous he was to put a stop to this This false message, this this impurity, if you will, of the gospel. He says, Galatians, you are are foolish. It is foolish to believe that you can now be made perfect by the flesh. You are bewitched, which means maligned, or um, to bewitch somebody is to fascinate by a false representation. You've been fooled to think that you can now be made perfect by the law. Another thing he talks about here then is receiving the Spirit in verse two. Do you receive this? Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And I'd like to look at that briefly at uh, what he is referring to, or why does that come into play here—the receiving of the Spirit. I believe the Spirit is received when we put our faith in Christ or when we are justified. It's not by some human intervention or by some work that we do or by some uh, work that somebody else does, a, a laying on of hands or whatever else it might be. That is not how we receive the Spirit. We receive the Spirit the same way that we are justified, by faith in Jesus Christ. Though some may teach otherwise, um, examples might be those who teach of a specific spirit baptism that comes at some later point in your spiritual journey where you arrive at some higher level of spirituality and now receive the spirit let me read to you a number of verses in scripture that i believe make this clear that the receiving of the spirit is when we come to faith in jesus christ Romans eight verse nine but you are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the spirit of God, he is not his. There makes it clear that if we belong to God, we have the Spirit. If we don't have the Spirit of God, we don't belong to Him. Romans eight eleven. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 1 Corinthians 6.11, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We are justified by the Spirit. So that's why Paul here talks about receiving the Spirit, not by the works of the law, but by the hearing of faith. Uh, A couple more verses. 1 Corinthians 6.19, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? We talk about, we use the term accepting Jesus into our hearts, and that's not necessarily, that exact term isn't taken out of Scripture, Though I don't think that it's wrong to use that term, but accepting Jesus Christ into your heart. That is the indwelling of the Spirit that he talks about here in 1 Corinthians. Your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, One more passage, uh, or verse, 2 Corinthians 3, 6. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And I think the term letter here could refer to the law. It's talking about the law. It's not by the law that we're justified, but by the Spirit. The Spirit dwells in us, and we are justified. We have Christ in our hearts. He is accepts us into his family. We are his. Receiving the Spirit is not some secondary level of spirituality that we may reach. We also know that we can um, push out the Spirit, quench the Spirit. Uh, Numerous times, Scripture instructs us to walk in the Spirit, to not wander away, but to walk in the Spirit. We are not to ignore that Spirit that dwells within us. But we receive the Spirit by faith, and as we continue to walk in faith, the Spirit guides us. To wrap up this study, I'd like to um, just again notice the emphasis that he puts on um, the grace of God. I Do not set aside the grace of God in verse 21, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. He was simply just telling them again and again here that, Look, you cannot rely upon the law for your salvation, for your justification. Christ died in vain if you are relying upon the law. And he brings in grace here, as well as um, several other times in this book, he talks about grace. Uh, we covered, I think we referred to one last time in, in chapter 1 there, there's also in chapter 5, verse 4, where he says, You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. So what is grace versus justification here? How, how can we understand grace? How is it that he's saying, we can't be justified for relying upon the law, but we have, we have set aside grace if We are relying upon the law. I look at it this way. Grace is God's favor, but it's the whole package that he brings us. It's justification. It's salvation. It's sanctification. And sanctification is is the work that Christ continues to do in us after he justifies us that we can live for him. Grace is the gift of his spirit that he gives to us. Grace is the power, the hope, the joy, and the promises. That whole package is what grace is. And Paul said if we're going to rely upon the law for our justification, it's like we're setting aside that package that he has given us, that gift that he's given us, ignoring it, pushing it aside, and looking to something else. How would you feel if, as parents, if you give your child a birthday gift, for example, and you put a lot of thought into this, with some monetary sacrifice to purchase that, something you really think that they'll, they'll use, they'll enjoy, they'll find a lot of of joy in. And you hand it to them, and they simply push it aside, turn away from you, and look for something else. That is what it's like when we ignore God's grace by relying upon the law for our justification. If you turn away from even one part, the justification... You have fallen from grace. So my question is, how real is God's grace to you? This is a challenge I would like to leave with you. How real is God's grace to you? How how much do you think about it? How much is that um, something you really rely upon on a daily basis? The more we seek to please others and to justify ourselves, as Peter was doing here, and the Galatians, the harder it will be for us to see God's grace in us. We cannot be justified by the law, but only by faith in Jesus Christ. How real is God's grace to you? I'd like to leave you with a homework assignment again, Romans chapter 4 through 8, if you want to take some time to meditate on that and read it, listen to it. The reason I'm giving this passage is it ties in so well with what we've looked at today about justification by faith and it also talks about the the next message that I like to share in the book of Galatians here and that is the gospel is by the gospel is by that by faith we are the sons of Abraham. If you look ahead here in the chapter 3 and 4, he talks a lot about Abraham and I will admit some of that is difficult for me to understand but I do want to work on it and seek to understand it I think there's a message there for us the gospel is by by faith we become the sons of Abraham so Romans chapter 4 through 8 it talks about Abraham there and it talks about our justification with that let's bow our heads for a word of prayer Father, we are grateful for your word that you have brought to us. You brought your word through the prophets, the gospel message, through the law to expose our sinfulness, to show us that we are sinners, and to bring us to that place where we long for justification and salvation. You announced your coming in such a glorious way to the humble shepherds when you arrived on this earth as a baby, the good tidings. Lord, may we take this gospel message, this word that we have before us, may we value it, may it be precious to us, and may your grace be precious to us. May it be a gift that we value more than anything else, that we daily think about and make a part of our lives. Continue to draw us to you, help us to grow, mature in our walk with you to walk in the Spirit, to live by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. And Errol, do you have a song for us to close?